Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm Mark Yakin, your host. I'm a managing director with Major Lindsay in Africa's Transform Advisory Services, and Major Lindsay is the sponsor of today's podcast. My guest today is Jay Williams who has been in the wellness space for a very long time. Currently, Jay is with Thrive Global. As many of you know, it was the uh, organization started by Ariana Huffington and has been very involved in wellness in the workplace space for, for some time. Jay is the head of enterprise and strategic sales for the East Coast. And although we normally don't have salespeople as guests, Jay has been in the wellness and kind of corporate happiness space for a very long time and been able to observe a lot of trends and has a great amount of information to share. Jay, hopefully I didn't botch that too badly, but I'll leave it to you to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself. I, I loved it, Mark. I thought it was great. I, if, you, if you had to boil it down, I would say that the way I describe myself as a mindful sales leader, um, because I've been a practitioner of mindfulness and meditation for about as long as I've been selling. And I found that like the only way to successfully, you know, live in the business world is to actually have a pretty strong grasp of your own mental health, um, especially when it comes to sales. And, it, and, you know, I've, I've taught this to so many people that have worked for me and worked with me uh, that the idea of being successful, being at your best is really about, making sure that you know what your best is and, and that you are ready to take on uh, whatever it is that's coming to you in a way that, that allows you to be aware and be present for all of those opportunities, good or bad, when they come, in, come at you. Uh, so like the, the goal that I've always had for anybody I've talked to and for any company I've worked with is to help them reach that same level of, of awareness. And, uh, and so Thrive is an awesome company from that perspective. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's one, of a, it's one of a few companies that I've worked with um, in the HR and wellness space. But I will say that Thrive is unique in the fact that it is about helping people reach their potential, their uh, ability to uh, be resilient uh, in the face of whatever comes at them, uh, which has been a lot over the last couple of years, as we both know. Uh, but I will say that uh, this is what truly drives me. It's this idea of helping people uh, be at their best and helping organizations to, uh, to help their people uh, be at their best. So thank you for the, the chance to come on and chat. Yeah, and, and I'm really happy to have you because you and I did a lot of talking over the last few months, um, some of it catch up, some of it about the, the topic of this podcast. And, and we kind of hit on, I think, a good theme, which is what does it mean to have a healthy workplace? And I think it's so important because as we look at the stress that lawyers are under right now, um, especially in big law, where they're working harder than ever, um, the notion that they need to slow down to do more or to perform better is so counterintuitive. But then at the same time, we're seeing this very, I would say very vigorous and um, a little polarizing debate about 
when firms are going to go back to the office, how are they going to go back to office, will associates want to go back to the office, um, debates about whether or not attorney's development is truncated because they don't have that personal contact and mentoring. And so I think all of it really kind of comes out to what are the right types of workplaces for people to thrive and to grow. And, 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 and by, um, by a natural byproduct of that for, for firms and internal legal departments to thrive because their people are thriving. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that there was a mentality for such a long time that, you know, the office was the place where work got done. And that there was this, you know, belief that um, if you weren't uh, in, in, in the work, in the workplace, that you weren't uh, achieving your best. And, uh, you know, and, and that has been dictated for so long by so many organizations and, and definitely in the, in the professional services world, that's been something that's been held true for not just, I think, law firms, but I think law firms and accounting firms and finance firms, uh, because they wanted uh, to see uh, the productivity they needed they needed that visual uh, stimuli uh, for what it meant to have a, a great team and and through that build a great culture and, and you know and I think that there's a power to that I mean there's a power to uh, to having a place that that is you know an association for the work that you do um, I was reading an article about you know what it was like for um, you know for new associates to come in and start their days in their new in their new office and they're walking by in, in the lobbies of these you know massive you know artworks uh, that are just inspiring them for all the the work that they're about to do and go through these you know beautiful corridors and hallways and things but it, it's it's all about driving an idea of you know how are you thinking about or starting to position your mind in terms of I'm here to do my best and I want to achieve and, and I really, really want uh, to, to, to grow and learn and, and become better. And, uh, you know, then COVID hit and all of those beautiful, lovely offices and all those wonderful environments were all of a sudden, you know, no longer available. So, you know, the companies had to come up with, uh, uh, you know, new ways to, to inspire their people. And I think that the wonderful thing, and I will say that that's, you know, there's very few wonderful things that have come out of the last two years, but I do think that the wonderful thing that has come out of this is this idea of uh, personal development and that companies are starting to recognize that the need to, uh, that people have a need to, you know, understand like what makes me great, like what it is that, that is really gonna help me achieve. And, uh, you know, and it's not the office, you know, it's not the, it's not the perks, it's not the things that you give me. It's, it's really the opportunity that I have to grow personally. And, you know, and that's, I mean, yeah, that's tied back to what you said about around attorney development, the idea that if you don't have a clear path for growth, then, you know, that's probably going to be a number one risk for you. But number two is, is if you don't have a, you know, strong line of communication or development or, or, you know, have a relationship with the people inside the organization um, that are encouraging you and, and, and motivating you to, to, to be your best. And as they say, bring your whole self to work uh, that, you know, you're going to be looking for another job. Well, but I think the interesting thing about all of this, 
is that we learned through the pandemic that we could deploy remotely and work very effectively. So it wasn't a question of could we deliver quality legal work? Because I think corporate America, whether it's you know accounting, finance, any other type of business law have proved that they can work effectively in a remote and distributed environment. But it does raise the interesting issue around a healthy workplace, because I think we always had this mindset that the workplace was a place you go. And the workplace is really, honestly, it's a virtual environment. You're, you're sort of like an avatar in your own working life. It's true. Yeah, yeah the, the idea that you know your workplace is now your bedroom, your you know, your extra, your extra closet, whatever space you've crammed yourself into. But the fact that the workplace is also, by the way, probably your serves multiple purposes. You know, it's also your kitchen. It might be your, you know, your homework room for your kids. Um, it might be your gym. It might be, you know, who knows what, um, it might be where, you know, everybody in your apartment, if you live with other people also use, uh, the space. So, you know, it's this idea that, you know, this is, you know, the workplace is totally different and it's totally virtual. And I don't think we've gone to a, to a complete, uh, uh, an idea of like a, of a virtual world being ideal yet. I still think people are sort of clinging to the idea that, that, you know, there will be something in the future that's going to happen. But I do think that there is this now, um, you know, move towards a hybrid belief, the idea that you should be as as successful no matter where you are and and how do we set people up to do that number one but number two is that how do you measure that you know how do you how do you how do you make sure that you've got people that are that you know are, are able to produce at the same level uh, whether they're home or away so well and, and i think for me one of the questions is how do you ensure that your your your, your people your organization the people in your organization are thriving when you can't see them to diagnose them, right? You can't, and I'm diagnosed in a very loose way. Um, but but part of um, part of what constitutes a healthy workplace is sort of the inherent support we get from each other, and you know the vibe we get when we see somebody's body language or demeanor or we see what kind of pressure they're under, and a lot of that now is occurring in the shadows because we can't walk by their office and stick our head in. Yes, you and I are having a Zoom conversation, but it's not like I can walk down the halls of Thrive and Global and say, hey, Jay, how you doing today? I can't. I have to, you and I have to book an appointment to converse with each other. And it's true. What, what, what has been the thinking in, in your organization around helping people reach their potential in what could likely be a permanent state of a hybrid environment. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it starts, the conversation has been nonstop with us. I mean, one of the wonderful things about working here at Thrive is that um, we practice a lot of what we preach. So the idea uh, that if you are, uh, you know, when you started, you know, when you start with, with Thrive, the, the conversation starts in a very unique way. And it's something that uh, we've started to see more people actually um, bring into their onboarding experience. It's the idea of most companies only listen to what their employees really want to say 
during this thing called the exit interview. The time when they're about to leave the organization, that's when they want to get all the feedback and, you know, and hear directly from, you know, no holds barred, everything the employee thinks. We do it at the entry interview. We do it at the start. And that sort of sets the tone. When you say do it at the start, what do you mean by that? Literally, as you're going through the interview process and as you get the offer from to come work here, um, what we recommend is having you sit down for a final interview with your manager. And the manager asks you, asks you the simple question that you just asked me, what would it take for you to thrive in your role? You know, what is it that you need to be at your best? So defining what would help an individual thrive is kind of built in up front. It's front loaded. It is. And, it, and it's because, and this is honestly- That's an goes, interesting, this, this that's literally a goes very back interesting to, concept. Yeah, I know. And it goes back to Ariana's mission. And the reason why she started the company was because for so long, you know, if you think about it, the way that people were measuring themselves was external. The idea that, you know, how am I doing? Well, am I making money? Am I, you know, and, and am I making more money than the guy next to me? Or, right. you know, do I, am I, am I, be, am I able to, or am I, you know, what's my career path? Am I becoming successful in, on my career path? You know, so, and, and that's measured against how other people are doing. But the idea of, of thriving is really finding that third metric, that idea that what are you, what do you value in your life? And how are you making sure that you're keeping that at the focus of everything you're doing? So thriving is just recognizing what's valuable to you in your life, what's important to you, and making sure that the company you're working for is giving you everything you need to get there. You know, that's a very interesting point that you raise. Yesterday, during the course of a consulting engagement, we were interviewing a really high-performing company employee who has lots of other interests, frankly. He's a writer, he does lots of other cool stuff. And he said, you know, I don't want my happiness or my identity to be defined by this job. I want to do a really good job and the guy does really good world-class stuff, but that's not how I want to be defined. And I think that that's really kind of a fundamental gap and how folks in the legal space, especially within the law firm ecosystem, view themselves. It is kind of a quantum shift. And, and, and so your perspective of an entry interview where you're curating their work experience to some degree to help them achieve who they want to become is very interesting because what I see sometimes is often we let the job define who we are. Yeah. And I, I'm not immune to having done that over the course of a 30 some odd year career. Um, it's the metric everybody's sure. used. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the thing that almost everyone has, has used because there's such an identity between work and life. Um, there's such an identity with the job that you hold or the role that you have and I, I think for so many people, um, you know, the, the challenge is that, that you, there's a risk uh, that you run with that. And the risk is that if you're constantly measuring yourself against that job, 
then that means that to really succeed, you have to put all of your effort and all of your energy into it. And we see this in law all the time, where you know the the expectation for what a great employee, uh, what a great associate uh, is, is the number of hours that they've worked. You know, how many of you worked 80 hours this week? How many of you worked 100 hours this week? 110 hours this week? And and that metric is really a measurement of really should be a measurement of how close are you to burning out? And, and burning out is not this badge of honor that you should be wearing. Uh, it is literally the thing that should like be a red flag or a red light that's telling you to stop. Um, but I, I gotta say like, that's the thing that, that so many people I think work towards, especially in, you know, coming from either the startup world or, or the finance world or, or, you know, the legal world is it, you know, it's, it's this, it's this concept, this notion of that, you know, famous workout commercial, which is I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like I don't need sleep. And, and the truth is your body does. It definitely needs sleep. It's that thing where, you know, if you expect to have a productive day, if you're not rested the night before, then I challenge you to be at your best. Um, so it's, it's all tied together is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and it's interesting in, in a couple of respects, because, you know, one of the things we talk about in terms of wellness these days is the corrosive or potentially corrosive value of social media, because you're sort of being benchmarked against people's curated lives. But if you think about it, you know, in, the, in, in, in professional services, legal, consulting, we've had the same issue because we're curating ourselves against someone else's compensation or someone else's relationships with a key partner. It's really um, an, sort of an analog version of the same problem, right? It's, it's, it's constant comparison to determine our worth. It's true. And, and so part of that is driven by, uh, you know, the culture of how managers evaluate their people. So it's one of the things that if you were really, you know, if you really wanted to go in deeper to, you know, what needs to change uh, is that I think there is a mindset shift that has to take place from, from, a, from, a, from a management perspective around, around that and around the way that people are um, rewarded or celebrated uh, for the work that they do. It's, you know, how often do Give you- some get, examples. Well, sure. I mean, how often do you hear, you know, a thank you for the fact that somebody worked all weekend? You know, like, oh, we were, we had a call on Thursday. Uh, we had a call on Thursday that a client needed something. And, and when they said they needed it Monday morning. So, so Mark was, was just gave up his whole weekend to, uh, to come in and, and work here in the office and get the presentation done. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. But you don't hear the, you don't hear the opposite, which is uh, right after that, Mark took three days off because Mark didn't get a weekend. Couldn't function anymore. Then couldn't function anymore, right? So there wasn't a thank you or, or an appreciation for the fact that, hey, Mark worked five days in a row but then had the wherewithal to take a couple of days off and take him and take some time to himself. Like you don't get that. You almost get the, the reverse of that, which is, you know, Mark worked all weekend, but then he had to take three days off, you know? So that's the example is that the, that mindset is completely wrong. 
around you know what you're celebrating people for. You should be celebrating people for the fact that they are conscious of what they're capable of. And if they need to work all weekend and they're able to do it, great. But then the fact is that they, they're gonna need a, re a reset. And to take that time is really what you should be thanking them for is because they recognize what they're capable of and what they can do, so. Yeah, and it, and it fascinates me that in, in, in professional services, we have this view that so contradicts what we know from high performance athletes, right? We know that the world's best marathoners take time off to recover. We know that people train by, by waves of intensity and then you know, waves of recovery, periodic training, right? Um, we have enormous amounts of data on the, the, the boundaries and the lack of boundaries for human performance, but never in the, you know, in the, the athletic sphere do you have instances where someone doesn't have periodic training, waves of rest and recovery um, against periods of stress do they last? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, the, the, the greatest example of that is, is, you know, I think the new associates and, and associate well-being. Um, the idea that so many associates burn out. I think the burnout rate for, for most new associates in law firms is something ridiculous. It's, it's you know, it's close to 50% of people well, are, expect, are expected to fail. And the manifestations are that the highest rate of substance abuse, alcoholism, and mental yeah. health issues in, in the legal profession is, from, is in the associate ranks, people that are not less than 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and, and they're also, I mean, the other challenge is they're also, they're also just, you know, continuing the cycle of, of bad habits for the next class that comes in as they become the, the managers or they become the, the, you know, the partners that are going to be, you know, you know overlooking this new crew. Um, of people and expecting the same results. I mean, this isn't this isn't law specific. This is this is you see this in every industry. But I will say that that in law it's particular because everybody thinks that this is these are the dues you have to pay um, for this type of uh, for this type of role. And and the truth is that for people that have been able to uh, find what works for them the same way an athlete does, you know, find their rhythm, find their operating system that works for them. They've been able to achieve amazing results and, and become rock stars on their own right. So, you know, as you look at this from the perspective of what Thrive Global does, how does it approach the mindset of the employer versus the mindset of the employee? Because you know, when my son was a swimmer, there were different coaches that had different philosophies. There were coaches who believed in relentless volume. My son was a national level swimmer in high school, and he actually swam in a lower group where they did less yardage because that's how his body responded best. How do you work with employers to understand that not everyone responds to the same coaching stimuli program but they can still have a cohesive, high-performing organization, even though they recognize people as individuals have different needs. I think it's just that. I think it's the idea that you have to look at people as individuals and that it, you can't implement one um, 
one corrective behavior or one way of doing things that are that it's going to fix everything. It's, it's like the idea of if you install a nine to five work culture, um, that everybody is going to thrive. And it's not true because you have people who are morning people, you have people who are night owls, you have, you know, people who have middle of the day commitments that they might have to deal with in terms of like kids or you know, other things. So it, it has to be individual and it has to be flexible. So we, the way that we kind of approach it is that is by talking about the thing that I think everybody can respond to, um, which is stress. Uh, the fact that you have stress in your life. You know, you have kids, I have kids right there. You've got stress in your life, but for other people who don't have kids, they don't, they don't have stress from that, but they might have stress from their parents. You know, they might be stressed out when they have to deal with their parents and manage that side of the, of the, of the equation for other people. They might be in a challenging relationship. They might be um, in, in, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, difficult financial situation uh, because they might be overloaded with student debt. You know, so the idea that stress affects people in different ways is really the metric that we start with. And the idea that if you are able to provide support to people so that they can recognize how to manage that stress, then you're starting to, you know, build uh, a sort of a, a uniformed playing field for everybody. Um, so you're playing one game, you're playing the, the stress relief game. And the idea here is that if you can help people identify what it is in their life that is causing them that stress, and usually there's about six different areas um, that we've found that, that most people uh, are, are stressed out by. And if you can identify which one of those is the biggest uh, challenge for them, and then get them to acknowledge it, and then help them recognize that the reason why they're stressed out is probably because of their habits around that. So let's use, let's use financial just as an example. Um, a lot of people are stressed out because they have, they have you know, bad financial habits. They spend too much money on things they don't really need. Let's just, uh, let's use like, you have probably have three to four different subscriptions to different streaming services at this point. And do you really need all of them? Okay. Maybe you do for stress relief. That's how you get off and you're and then relax for your evenings. But for a lot of people, the additional cost of these things is what ends up stressing them out. And so by maybe changing a habit, like instead of subscribing to Netflix next month, I pick up one of the 40 books that's on my shelf and I do and I read instead and I spend that time doing that. Or I spend the time having a quality conversation with my kids and doing playing a game or something like that. Replacing one of those habits or one of those bad uh, stressful experiences potentially with a good one is the way that we start working with people and helping them through little things. And we call them micro steps. They're little decisions that you can make, little choices you can make throughout your life that are really too small to fail because they're so simple to, to, to make. Um, it's the idea of, you know, not turning on the TV at eight o'clock at night when you're typically doing that. Instead, take, eight, take you know, a 15 minute break uh, to, to spend some time talking to somebody uh, or picking up the phone and calling somebody. Um, the idea of replacing that with, with a different habit. And you can apply this across all the different areas of stress from, from finance to relationships to, um, food, to exercise, to even mental ability and focus. And it's the idea that we come in and say, let's figure out what it is that works and not work and doesn't work for you. And let's try and make some better choices. So is it, if you, if you want to create a healthy workplace for your employees and team members, 
I, I, I wonder whether or not it gets it gets daunting to do that if you feel like you have to be a therapist to however many team members you like because I, I, I totally understand what you're saying and it's so sensible but how do you deliver that at scale yeah I think it's uh, the the thing that we start with and the thing that I think every good behavior change program um, just organizational behavior starts with is uh, top-down leadership. The idea that if you really want people to make changes, you have to give them cultural permission to do it. So by giving examples or by having their, their managers and their leaders, their partners come in and say, like, this is what I'm doing uh, to help myself. And I really wish that you will join me in this. And so for so many organizations that we've helped, we've started there. Uh, we've started by working with their partners, part of working with their directors and saying, we want you to go through this program and identify the things that are important to you that are stressing you out. And then the second part of that, because we live in a content world uh, where everybody is engaged in everything from TikTok to Twitter to YouTube um, is storytelling. It's the idea of then capturing those people's stories and making sure that we are resonating those back to the people in the organization. So it's the idea of, of not just having the managers and leaders understand and, and go through this themselves, but then the amplification of their work as, as role models, as leaders, to then give permission to people to then step forward into their own journey as well. And that I think is the best example. But then uh, once you do get started with an organization, especially large ones, I mean, you know, some of the companies we work with have hundreds of thousands of employees and it's important for people to start recognizing uh, people like them. And so finding people's stories within the organization and showcasing them as well and showcasing their successes uh, and doing it on uh, multiple levels, doing it from a, you know, from a challenging perspective saying like, I really wanted to get better or I really wanted to improve myself or from a, from a, uh, from a, a chance to really highlight somebody who was going through an incredibly tough time and was brave enough to come out and talk about that and really, and really just showcase that. Those are the two things that we really find are so impactful for people. That's pretty cool. A couple of things struck me in your, um, you know, your last um, comment, and that is that if leaders are willing to share their stories, it gives permission for others in the organization to do what they need to do to address their stress. Yes. And if they begin to highlight people who are doing what they do to um, be more effective and happier and more resilient, that also creates that permission for people to take care of themselves. Which is so critical. I mean, it's it's the same it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. It, it's it's this mindset shift that uh, you know I don't have to I don't have to you know drive myself to you know the edge to be successful at this company. You know I I can have 
a successful uh, career and also have it be a balanced one. And I think that, you know, the examples of, of, of leaderships, of leadership setting that is so, is so important, but also just continuing to reinforce it. Um, and by, you know, like, like I was saying, celebrating people for the things that are, that are um, important to them. So this is what, this is come back to the interview question that I, that I said before it was, was the idea that if your leaders know what's important to you, then, uh, then they can celebrate you for it. So, so one of the, so another question that, that I think a lot of companies don't ask when they uh, bring somebody on is, you know, what, what's important to you outside of work? You know, what are the things that are really, you know, really that you're passionate about? And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that many people find is, is that, you know, exercise or sports or something like that is important. And a lot of people are parts of organizations, uh, professional organizations, like, you know, maybe roadrunners or uh, doing marathons, or, you know, maybe they're part of a, of a, you know, some other type of, of athletic league and being able to celebrate those opportunities at work is a rare thing because they don't feel like it's part of their culture. Um, so allowing people to talk about that, talk about the things that are important to them and whether it's, it's their achievements outside of work or maybe it's their kids' achievements outside of work and celebrate those things I think are important. Yeah, I do think it's important to celebrate the whole person. But I think if we've taken at least one component of what makes a healthy workplace, whether it's a remote workplace or an in-person workplace or a hybrid, it's about the fact that you can't have a healthy workplace if you don't have leaders who want to live healthy lives. Yeah. And, and by the way, who aren't, who aren't leading healthy lives themselves. So Right. If they don't want to lead a healthy life or the example they set isn't one that embraces them whole, their whole selves. Yeah. And it's very hard to create an organization where people are going to thrive um, and, and, and stay. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we're seeing over and over again. I mean, you know, you look at all of the, you look at all the stories around the great resignation and, and all of that. And I, I think that that's so key um, for, for, for leaders to recognize, but organizations to recognize because um, truthfully, uh, the number one reason that people leave their jobs is because they don't like their manager. And, and we know that we've seen that, you know, there's been, I, I can't, I don't, I don't think I can cite enough references for that. Uh, but the idea that there is a simple correction that you can do, and it's, it's not about making sure that everybody likes you, but it's just about making sure that, that your expectations are clear. Um, and that you are uh, communicating well with your team. And so all of those things come back to the same thing. It's a healthy workplace. So, you know, you might, you might thrive uh, working for somebody who is a drill sergeant. You know, you may need that. Um, I know a lot of people who have come out of the military or um, have come out of sports that unless they have a really strong coach, like they're not going to be their best. And that coach may have to yell at them. That coach may have to make sure that they're, that they're practicing every single day. Um, but it's important to recognize that. And, and, and sort of, that's sort of the self-assessment that you have to go through. But I think it's also important um, when, you're being a, when you're a leader to know what kind of leadership style works for you and, and, yeah, and what, what people respond to. And I think that's so critical is that understanding what people respond to 
I had the great fortune when I was in high school to play in one of the finest volleyball programs in the East Coast. My coach was an icon. And there were some kids he yelled at. He knew yelling wouldn't work with me. He'd whisper in my ear, that guy's working so much harder than you. Because he knew that it would make me so damn mad. I'd work three times as hard. He never raised his voice with me, but yet some kids, he just had to just yell at them, yell at them. And they performed better because of that. They weren't damaged or marred. They just responded really positively. And I think what's unique is that they're, the best leaders can, can, can modify their style uh, to, to each individual. Um, and I think that that's great when you have a t- when they have the ability to do that. But I think the the key component of that is also the trust side of it, making sure that your employees feel uh, that they can trust you um, with uh, that type of encouragement, and they and that they'll they're willing to say to you, "This is what I need. Uh, this is the type of coaching, or this is the type of feedback." that I need from you uh, in order to be my best. And I, and I honestly don't think a lot of managers um, take the time to, to, le- to learn that. They just do things the way they've always done it and well, or the and way they were taught. You're highlighting a really good point, which is a healthy, effective workplace has a dialogue where the person, the employee has the ability to say, these are the things I need to perform well. Some of them may not be possible because we know some people have impossible, impossibly unrealistic notions of, of, of what they need. But a lot of times it's about this is the kind of feedback I need, or this is the kind of interaction I need, or this is the kind of connective activity I need. And, it, it, and in many cases, I think it's, it's people leave not because there's a big thing, but because of, you know, there's a million paper cuts. Yeah, it's true. I, I think that to, you know, build on the, what we were saying before, uh, another reason that people leave is they feel, dis- they just, right now, they feel more disconnected than ever. Um, they feel more disconnected from uh, the people that they work with because they're not in the office with them. So it's this idea of, you know, on, on both an individual and a manager basis, what are you doing to make sure that you are making efforts to keep that connection? Um, and, and there's different ways to do that, uh, but I think that it's, it's something that, that everybody needs to focus on these days is to make sure that they, that every day or on as, as regularly as you can do it, um, what are you doing to stay connected to the people in your workplace? You know, and what are you doing as a manager to stay connected to your team in a way that they want to uh, stay connected to the workplace? Um, and so it's it's that idea of sharing things like gratitude or sharing uh, stories that they uh, feel like have moved them personally um, and feeling comfortable around the the people that they're doing it. But really, it's just it's this idea of 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 taking a time, a moment in the day to, to just work on your relationships. Uh, and as opposed to working on the project or working on the client or working on whatever it is, make sure you're spending that time every single day. Before we wrap up, what, what, what at Thrive Global, you guys see a lot of things. What are your sort of trends that you're seeing for the coming year in terms of, um, 
employee wellness in, 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 in thriving environments and just trends you're seeing generally. Yeah, I mean, this has been an interesting year. And I, I will say that, that if you would have asked me this three months ago, I would have said a much different thing. I, I think the first half of this year is still going to be, um, you know, very COVID influenced uh, and, and still uh, about this idea of, of making sure that your employees are okay um, and finding ways to do that. And it's one of these things that I think companies have struggled with over the last couple of years um, is, you know, getting people to take off the mask that they so often are wearing on the Zoom calls if they're stuck still in remote situations and making sure that they actually are okay and not just saying that. And so we're seeing the trend of trying to find ways to um, get people to um, talk more about the challenges that they're facing. And so things like uh, employee resource groups have come, in, have come up a lot more lately, um, yeah. more, more unique ones with very specific, uh, uh, you know, almost, almost hyper-specific uh, conversations around- Yeah, and it was interesting because yeah. at MLA, as a result of the pandemic, there's an employee resource group for parents with young children. Yeah. Um, and my kids are in the 30s, so I, I, I don't qualify for a membership. But what people have told me that participate is it's been an enormous resource for them and um, made them feel not alone in their, in their challenges. Yeah, I mean, that's the key uh, right now. Uh, the key is, is making sure that your employees don't feel like they're isolated. And also, on the flip side, don't feel like they're being forced into a, a, a situation which is making them uncomfortable. And so this is, this is the constant sort of back and forth with the return to the office um, mentality. Um, I think we, we've been successfully able to get past the idea of calling it return to work because people have been working this whole time. So now it's the idea of return to office, but what does the office mean? And seeing so many companies start to embrace this hybrid model is I think great, but also resisting the impulse to, to force people to come back to the office because um, they need to do that to justify the cost of the office. Uh, I think that that's a nice shift that we've seen and, and people being able to make those choices um, has been cool uh, for, for a lot of companies to be able to start doing and then i think of like the sales forces of the world and some of the larger tech companies but um even for law firms i think it's it's the idea that that you you need to have conversations you need to have these direct conversations with the people who who are working with you and um empowering uh managers to be able to do that to say you know this this is where we are this is what the expectation is and you know where you know let's 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 have a conversation around where you fall and what what you think um you know you you would be capable of because i think i know as many people who are desperate to get back to the office right now as they are to say i i don't really think i ever need to come back to the office because there's people who would thrive in both examples uh so being able to identify that is a real key component too because everybody is unique um, as we were talking about before. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say is that um, I think that the challenge that we continue to have around burnout is, is, the, is, the, is the thing that it's harder and harder to judge. And so many more people are waking up to this idea that the job that they've been doing for the last, I don't know, 
five years more um, may not be the right job for them. And I think it's important and I think it's on companies to make sure that they're asking the questions of their employees before the employee starts asking the questions of them about whether or not I'm the right fit for this company. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really where it's about proactive conversations and really about proactively going out to people to identify like potential burnout, uh, people who are at risk and, and getting them to, to talk about that. So those are the things that I think are really still important for this year. Well, Jay, this has been a fabulous discussion. I have one final question for you. There is um, in your home office a sign that says, how happy are you? And it gives a range of from one to 99. Jay, how happy are you? Mark, I am a 99 today. I Excellent. really, really appreciate the chance to come on and talk to you. And this has been uh, such a joyful, fun conversation. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, let me turn it, the tables on you and tell you, and ask you, where are you on my scale today from one to 99? I'm, I'm pretty high. Um, first of all, doing this podcast, which Major Lindsay allows me to do under their banner is a pure act of joy. Um, secondly, you know, I started off January, 2021 in the hospital with COVID and this is January, 2022. So it's not 2021. So I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm doing some interesting work and I'm excited to, you know, have going to my, you're like my 31st or 32nd um, podcast episode. I'm excited to be able to keep doing this. So uh -huh. I have enjoyed listening to all of them and I look forward to the next 30 over, uh, over the next year. And um, just want to say, you know, this has been a lot of fun. So thanks for the invite. You're most welcome. Um, I'll be calling you later to see how to get Ariana on my podcast. <laughs> because I you know, think every, you know, every good person like you needs a challenge. The, the, number one, the number one question I get asked, yes. What's it like to work for Ariana? And, yeah. and, and I will say that that is surprisingly wonderful. Um, it is, she's, she's an amazing force. And I've, I've, and I'll just end by saying that I've never worked at a company where I've had a CEO who has, who is as committed and as involved as, as she is. Um, well, and I think that sums up everything we've said today about what makes for a healthy workplace. Absolutely. Today, it has been terrific. Um, we agreed that we can still say happy new year because we're not at the limit yet. Have a happy new year. And, um, we'll be talking this year quite a bit, I'm sure. Thanks, Mark. Look forward to it. Happy New Year to you as well. Take care. This has been Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. My guest today has been Jay Williams from Thrive Global. Thanks to all that have listened, and you can find us on any place you get your podcasts. Thank you, Jay. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.